Welcome to episode 47 of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, the podcast where we discuss and examine the 75 greatest Marvel stories as chosen by Marvel readers and published by Marvel Comics itself. The countdown continues every Wednesday until June 1st, 2016. And joining us for his first time on this podcast, but certainly not his first time in any of Bureau 42's other shows, we've got Mr. Alex Case. Hello. Hello, Alex. So those who've been listening to Bureau 42's shows have heard Alex and I discuss many of our greatest science fiction films up to this point. You may have even notice I keep calling this podcast or this countdown a tournament. It's because of the podcast that Alex and I have been doing on that end. Yeah. All right, so before we get into this, Alex, why don't you start off by telling people where else they could find you and what else you're doing online? If you go to youtube.com slash Alexander Case, formerly slash Count Zero OR, I do a pair of YouTube series, the Nintendo Power Retrospectives, where I go through every issue of Nintendo Power Magazine, discuss the issue, and review each game featured in it, which is a lot of games. The other show I've been doing is called Breaking It All Down, which is a series where I've been reviewing science fiction books, movies, and some science fiction video games. I'm discussing the plot and breaking it down into chunks and determining how well it holds up. And recently, we've even had a spin-off series, not a spin-off series, but spin-off fanzine called Breaking It All Down, The Zine, which is available at efanzines.org. Okay. All right. So thank you for joining me for, as we said, story number 47, Avengers The Korvax Saga, originally published as issues 170 through 177, with scripts by Jim Shooter, David Michelini, and Bill Mantlow, plotting assists by Jim Shooter and George Perez. Shooter has at least plotting credit on all of the issues. George Perez has plotting credit on the first two, which he also drew. The other pencilers include Sal Buscema and Dave Wenzel. Inkers were Pablo Marcos, for the most part, as well as Klaus Janssen and Ricardo Villamonte. Colorists include Jim Shooter, Phil Rachelson, Nell Yomtov, and Bob Sharon. Letters include Denise Wall, Annette Kowecki, Shelley Lefferman, and Rich Parker. Editors include Jim Salakrup as assistant editor. The regular editors included Archie Goodwin, Jim Shooter, and Roger Stern at various points through the eight-issue run, and Jim Shooter is editor-in-chief. Cover dates range from April to December 1978, and it was released on January 17th, 1978, at least for issue 170. The final issue was released on September 19th, 1978. Hello, I am Count Zero, and welcome to my YouTube channel. Here you may find my three shows, Breaking It All Down, which is my vloggy review show, where I talk about science fiction novels, science fiction and fantasy films, and evaluate them in the context of literary science fiction and literary science fiction fandom, and I also discuss video games, both video games as a medium and, video, and specific video games, and again in the context of literary science fiction fandom and my other fandoms, like tabletop role-playing games, and so forth and so on. I also have the Nintendo Power Retrospectives, which is a show where I go through the history of Nintendo Power Magazine from the beginning to end. I'm partway through the second year as of this recording, and I discuss the magazine and review each featured game in the magazine, plus doing little recaps of the of each year as I wrap it up to discuss the games that were in the mindset of gamers at the time but did not get featured, like, for example, basically stuff that made the top 30 and was not actually featured in the magazine. So, if that sounds interesting for you, please subscribe. If you're still on the fence, the videos are right down there. Please watch them. And if you like them, again, subscribe and hit the like button for the videos in question. Thank you very much. I look forward to reading your comments and seeing you around the channel. All right. So we are going to discuss the Korvax Saga, which is something that was running at least in terms of publication, 
It started a little bit before the Dark Phoenix saga, which is something that you will hear John M. Wilson and I discuss many, many months from now. But this is the late 1970s, and Marvel stories had a little bit of a different structure at the time. It was just kicking off the era of the specialty store. So even with this, like the Kree Scroll War and some of the other stories that we're going to see on this countdown, a lot of the longer stories from this era really are chunked into a series of smaller stories with just subplots that are building to another story coming down the road. And this is one of those. Yeah, while some of the arcs we've covered here have, in particular the Clone Saga, have been definitely more serialized, this is very episodic in a way, or sort of episodic serialized hybrid. It's a bit like the, how like in Babylon 5, you'd have your main, really in the early season, you'd have your main storyline with hints of something related to the shadows coming in and the larger shadow arc until that pushed to the forefront. Very much the same sort of thing here. Yeah. You could chunk it off into three different stories of two or three issues each. And it's just that the first two stories have these subplots on the back burner that are going to come up to this main plot. Mm-hmm. And even when that final story gets started, as far as the characters are concerned, they're working on two different problems. They don't realize that it's really one and the same. So yeah, might as well start with an issue one recap. Well, issue one also features our first appearance in the tournament and probably only appearance in the tournament of the original roster of the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is from the 30th century, which is in the far future of the Marvel Universe, and has Thor, actually issue of Thor, and has Thor getting pulled forward in time by a mysterious entity known, well, unintentionally pulled forward in time by a mysterious entity known as Cor Michael Korvac. Yes, and Korvac plays a big part there. But for the most part, this issue, we, we get that the those future Guardians, the original lineup, are here just to keep an eye on one particular individual. We see some things going on. For example, Quicksilver disappears right in front of Crystal. So this is the Inhuman, who was his wife at the time. Two-Gun Kid gets disappeared while on a train with Hawkeye. Yeah, so a lot of these Avengers are disappearing. Meanwhile, Joe Costa is reacting, and this is something that the Avengers have to deal with. Joe Costa has apparently turned on them. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the bulk of the first issue of the story arc. It's when we get into the second issue that they really deal with Joe Costa here, because she is you know, representative of a story plot involving Ultron. Mm -hmm. And this is where Miss Marvel, a.k.a. Carol Danvers, comes in. So her solo series is running at this time, and she shows up to help them out, gives a little bit of credence and weight to the scale of the issues here. And when the Avengers show up and follow their leads, follow Jocasta, they end up encountering Ultron. And they are just barely able to overcome him. And they've even managed to turn Jocasta against them again, but largely with the help of Thor, they are able to put Ultron down. And while this is happening, they don't notice Jocasta has disappeared. Yep. And then I believe next issue, we get the other recurring plot point here, which is the introduction of Henry Peter Gyrinch, the Avengers new liaison who basically comes in and serves at the role they end up serving throughout the rest of Marvel Comics, which is the biggest ob obstructive bureaucrat you could ever possibly find in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, he's worked a lot with the, the X-Men and the Avengers over the years. This is one of the earliest stories, if not the earliest that he shows up in the Avengers. Have to double check to make sure of that. I remember when I first encountered Henry Genrich in a comic storyline, just due to how truly obstructive he is in terms of getting the way of the Avengers and the X-Men versus their teams, there's always been this like spot in the back of my mind where like, we're wondering, is Genrich secretly working for Hydra 
or or AIM or some other supervillain group, or is he secretly a Skrull? Because he oftentimes causes as big of a setback to the heroes as the supervillains do, or sometimes even more so, since supervillains can safely be punched. Yeah, Garrett's whole attitude seems to be that he doesn't feel the world should have superheroes. He doesn't like the idea of people with this much power working without direct government oversight and non-direct government control. So he will try to undermine and limit their abilities and their operational functions in any way he can to make sure that it's the government agents that are officially chosen that are going to be the ones that are standing up and working for it. But while the Avengers are dealing with the fallout from Ultron and the arrival of Henry Peter Gyrich, who shows up and strips them of all their special abilities so they no longer have flight clearance for their Quinjets and a number of other obstructions. They don't have access to government data files, which comes up significantly later. Yeah, so all of this is going on, and meanwhile we get just a glimpse of the character who's been kidnapping it. So Jocasta, the Two-Gun Kid, the Vision, Moon Dragon, Captain America, and Quicksilver have all been captured by the time issue 172 is complete. And we just see them, you know, sort of in this collection of tubes held in stasis. So we go from there into issue 173, when the Avengers are trying to figure out what's going on. They're missing members. They're limited by the government contracts. We cut to Hercules and Black Widow, who are having a hard time getting along at the airport. We've got hints from Nick Fury that, you know, things aren't going to work out for them, and they probably... They're not going to have government support. He says, you know, as long as Agent Guyrich considers the Avengers a security risk, S.H.I.E.L.D. is severing all ties and cuts the communication. But it's here that we get the first glimpse of the character that is really the driving force of the saga. And that's the one. He's become known as Michael Korvac, although he's generally known as either Michael or Korvac. So he considers himself Michael. And, you know, he is watching the Avengers essentially through almost like a... TV screen, but it's just something he's opened up as a portal on his wall. He's in the mood for something to drink, so he just holds out his hand and creates it right there. His girlfriend or wife or significant other, Karina, we don't know the exact relationship at this point, is there, and she is fully aware of his abilities. doesn't seem surprised by them at all. We know that he's under observation by the Guardians of the Galaxy, or at least they're watching the young Vance Astrovic, who will grow up to become Vance Astro, aka Justice. In the far future, he's the leader of the Guardians. In the more short-term future, he becomes one of the new warriors, although that's not for a good 10 to 15 years after this is published. Mm-hmm. Now, this Michael Korvac is aware that there's other entities who you know, would give him problems or at least annoy him, so he's trying not to draw their attention. He's trying to prevent the Watcher from noticing him. Odin, Zeus, Mephisto, and particularly Eternity. In particular, he's using his power to repress their ability to see him and perceive him. Or at least that's the impression I got from how the issue is written. Yeah, it's, you know, how much of it is his powers and how much of it is just careful is, it's a little vague. It could be read either way. It's probably a combination of both. Yeah. So it, it sounds like he's trying to, well, his ultimate plot that we eventually learn is to remake the universe with himself in charge. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to do that with the smallest and fewest changes as possible, just enough to redirect the track to make him top dog. Yeah. And this moment, he's basically doing a cosmic somebody else's problem field around himself. So meanwhile, the Avengers have a couple more recruits. Captain Marvel, the original Captain Marvel, as far as Marvel as a publisher is concerned, Marvel, the Kree warrior, joins them for some support. Black Widow and Hercules, who had left to be two of the main members of the Champions, 
are back and giving them support and they just get clued in to what they're going for. It's a place in orbit. And this is where we see the collector who is known to movie audiences as the character played by Benicio del Toro Mm -hmm. in Thor, the dark world and in the guardians of the galaxy film. And we learned the captured Avengers have been captured by him because he is collecting the team. And this leads to the confrontation of Avengers attacking to free their colleagues and find out why he is collecting the team. And short person is the collector knows something is up, but before he can spill, he is basically disintegrated or otherwise destroyed. Disintegrated, destroyed, sent elsewhere. It's the implication is he's dead. Remember? Yeah. As far as the Avengers are concerned, what they've seen is the collector being turned into a pile of ash. And we learned that he was killed by an energy bolt by Michael Korvac. And his girlfriend, Karina, is the Collector's daughter, as we also learn when Korvac says, You are now an orphan, Karina, my love. So meanwhile, the Avengers are now really understanding the power levels of whoever their enemy is, known only as the enemy, and the descriptions the Collector gave. But that's it. They've got no other leads. All they know is this guy can wipe out the Collector from wherever he is, which isn't here. Yep. And probably worth mentioning also at some point, a little earlier in the story, one of the members of the Guardians of the Galaxy had actually made contact with Korvac and discovered him, fought Korvac, but this is the Guardians, one of the more Guardians' more powerful members, fought Korvac and lost. Been utterly destroyed and then recreated by Korvac, with the slight alteration that he is completely incapable of perceiving Korvac in any of his forms. Yeah, that member is specifically Starhawk, who's known for his ability and his perceptions. He's not quite Heimdall levels from the, the Thor portion of the Marvel Universe and the films, but he's close. He can notice a lot of things. Same with Moon Dragon. It appears that the ones that Collector has been collecting are the ones who would be best able to detect Korvac in the first place. Mm-hmm. But in issue 175, as the Avengers are investigating the Collector's facility, they realize that this thing is a time machine. And the reason Thor is dealing with them but has no recollections of what's been happening in the recent past is because the Collector has been the one who's been pulling him out of his past putting him to the future so he can help them fight, and then sending them back to his past with no memory of recent events. Which is an interesting way to work around the fact that Thor was in the middle of the Odin Quest storyline, which ran from Thor's 225 to 263. So, one of the longer stories. Yeah. But as the Avengers are there, the two-gun kid has to be sent back to his proper place in time, back in the 19th century, because he just never felt like he belonged, so the Avengers managed to pull that off. And when they send everyone back home, unfortunately they are you know, unable to target it very precisely. So it's quite the risk. I don't know why they did it one at a time. I guess it was just the limit of the technology. Because Wonder Man shows up in traffic, but thankfully he's strong enough that when he gets hit by a bus, it does way more damage to the bus than Wonder Man. The Scarlet Witch gets delivered miles above the city, and if not for the cosmic awareness of Captain Marvel, she'd have died, but he's able to catch her in time. Hawkeye ends up on a flagpole, and we cut from there back to the origin of Korvac. So this Michael, who's just been referred to as Michael at this point and not Michael Korvac, this is where we learn that he's actually Korvac, the living computer who had previously shown up in stories involving the Guardians of the Galaxy. And also the Defenders, I actually mentioned this in the Thor annual at uh, number six that kicks this off, is he'd previously squared off with the Defenders as well. The original roster Defenders, I believe. Yeah, yeah, he was one of the first villains. So he'd been jumping around time and he an- ended up finding himself inside Galactus's spacecraft and used the technology there to upgrade himself to godlike powers. And he gave himself human form, met Karina, the daughter of the Collector, they fell in love, and that love helped her betray him. Meanwhile, all the Avengers gather, and they try to get the Guardians of the Galaxy to help them out too, so that they can rescue these guys. 
And while they're doing that and looking for them, they call in Starhawk. So he's the one who comes to help them because he's known for his sort of observational abilities. But he is also the one who was defeated by Korvac and rebuilt, unable to see him. So, and this is when the search is also limited. This, as Alex mentioned earlier on, this is where the Avengers discover that Guy Rich has had their database commandeered as well. So most of their records of who they're fighting and the villains are no longer in their possession. Yeah, so, so through some intuition and some perceptive abilities by Moondragon and others, they managed to sort of trace the signal of Korvac to basically a house in suburbia. And there's got a great moment of the Avengers walking down the street since well, walking or driving because they don't have the Quinjet anymore. But can't fly the Quinjet and the reactions of various passersby finding this house and they're like, this can't be the place. There's no way this is the place. They go inside and then Starhawk gets confused about who are you talking to? There's nobody there. At which point, everyone knows this is the guy because only someone this powerful could completely hide himself from Starhawk to such a degree. Yeah, and this is also where we learn a little bit more about Korvac's plan. He's the one that says, you know, for even more than your Norse compatriot, I am a god and I was going to be your savior. So his goal was to remake the universe and put himself in control because he thought he could legitimately make it better. It wasn't so much power motivated as he just didn't think that Eternity was doing a very good job and thought he could do a better job. So that was his plan, was to take Eternity's job. So this sets off the final battle with a huge roster of Avengers. So we have Quicksilver, Hercules, Black Widow, Scarlet Witch, Captain America, Iron Man, Hank Pym, or Yellowjacket, the Wasp, the Vision, Hawkeye, Thor, Moondragon, Wonder Man, Captain Marvel, Miss Marvel, and, you know, coming in for an assist, we've got Starhawk as well. And these guys are all facing off against Korvac. And he's now saying, well, basically the jig is up. These cosmic enemies have noticed me. So Heimdall's noticing me. The Watcher's noticing me. And most importantly, Eternity's noticing me. Moondragon is able to send out another call to get the rest of the Guardians that are here to come out and help. So Yondu, Martin X, Nikki, Charlie 27, they're all on the way. The others in suburbia are freaking out because stuff like this doesn't happen anywhere. <laughs> and they come in and they take on Korvac and he actually kills several of them in the process. Yeah, he basically mops the floor with the Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy as a whole. Even the ones he doesn't kill are severely injured or knocked out. Yeah, he can take out Wonder Man in one shot. Moondragon is stepping out of the fight because she understands what his actual purpose was. And she's starting to realize what a tragedy this could be on that. The destiny is inevitable, but you know they are able to eventually put him down. But a lot of that is, you know, because of outside intervention. Yeah, Karina in particular gets involved in the fight as well. Yeah, and she's saying it was, you know, he's dead because of your interference, and as they go through and take him out, they kind of realize what's going on, and when it's all said and done, the only survivors left were Moondragon and Thor. But fortunately, like, I believe either Korvac or Karina before their deaths basically bring back to life all the dead Avengers. Yeah, it was Korvac. Korvac. And the story ends with Moondragon basically telling Thor, we don't need you now. We need the other the other guy to borrow a phrasing from the Avengers movie. And Thor switches to 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 Don Bl Donald Blake to basically do triage and tree and medical treatment while they wait for the ambulances to show up. Yeah. And Moondragon walks away and she realizes that yeah, with her, you know, vision and prescience, she's the one who realizes that you know what, had Korvac succeeded, the universe would have been better. He would have been a less fickle and malevolent ruler than Eternity is. And that you know, the Avengers were doing what they needed to do, but for most of this, they had no idea what was going on. I mean, this is an eight-issue story, 
And I think it's about issue number seven before they finally realize who it is that they're up against. Mm-hmm. And it's only really the fifth issue where they even understand that some of these things they're seeing are connected and they have someone to fight against in the first place. So I think that, you know, when it comes to the significance of it, I think that's the main significance. It brings back a villain who's shown up in other issues, but primarily from a storytelling perspective and part of what makes this particular story stand out over the rest is that the Avengers were not necessarily the good guys in here. They did prevent a major change in the status quo, but it does appear as though those changes in the status quo would have made the universe a better place for all involved. So, you know, we we do like to talk about the plot synopsis, the significance, the impact of the story on ourselves and the industry. I think that is the significance. Yeah. Aside from the main thrust of plot, it also has a great bunch of great little moments in here as well. Aside from the conclusion, which is a very emotionally intense confu- uh, conclusion of the story, uh, one of my favorite other little bits about this about the story is when the team, there is, I forget which enemy it was, it's around the time they've, they've just gotten their uh, flight privileges taken away from... Oh, no, this is no, this is when they're heading to hunt down Korvac. They need a way to get there, and they have to transport, like, 20 people. So, we don't have the Quinjet anymore. How are we going to get there? Let's commandeer a bus. So, they find a double-decker bus, inform the driver that they're taking, that they're commandeering it. I believe, like, Tony, Iron Man says something effective. He'll contact Tony Stark and have them, and have him get them taxis or something like that. Yeah, the bus company is going to be compensated, and Jarvis has already called everybody taxis. Yep. <laughs> And so they end up driving out in this big double-decker bus to suburbia. And it's a wonderfully glorious little absurd moment in the story where it's it's not just the Avengers in the suburbs, it's the Avengers interacting with ground-level people in the Marvel Universe a lot more often than they do normally. Yeah. And provides a degree of grounding that you don't normally get with the Avengers-level stories. Spider-Man, Daredevil, the other sort of street-level heroes, you get that more often. But you don't necessarily see... Iron Man or Thor, for lack of a better, or Hercules, for lack of a better term, slumming it, so to speak. Yeah, it is. It was very unique and it was amusing, especially at that point in the story, because they were quite literally about to go face a guy who's trying to rewrite the entirety of reality. But that's where they were. Meanwhile, the other guys are, go- they, even the guys in suburbia, most of them just don't believe their eyes. One guy says, um, don't things tend to get wrecked when you're around? Do you really <laughs> need to be here? <laughs> Pretty much. I do kind of wonder if we got any of the cameo appearances in there, because they tend to, whenever normal people end up showing up, we end up seeing little cameo appearances of, like, writers or editors and that sort of thing. Yeah, there's none I could pick out. If it was going to be characters, well, they showed up in Queens, so this would have been Spider-Man if anyone came in. I was thinking more like, uh, sort of like how occasionally, Stan, uh, like, for wedding scene, for weddings, like, Stan Lee or Jack Kirby or someone will show up and get kicked out, a little sort of self-depreciating humor. Or that you'd have conversations between Chris Claremont and John Byrne trying to figure out what to do next in the plot when a character comes tearing through in the middle of a fight. and That sort of thing. And, I, and this would be the perfect place to have, if you're going to have a Jim Starlin cameo appearance or a Jim Shooter cameo appearance in your, in your comic, having them mowing the lawn would be a great place to do it. Yeah. Well, if it worked for Stanley and Chris Claremont in X3. Yep. <laughs> but I think that's the main thing. In terms of the impact on the industry, I don't know, there's... I believe this might be the last appearance of Korvac. I, I may be mistaken about that. It's the last one I'm aware of, or that I recall. Well, the last historic one, he's apparently showing up in Secret Wars, but... Yeah, the Korvac saga is one of the... During the, the Secret Wars, which is running at the time of this recording, there are a series of miniseries revisiting major Marvel stories and events, basically showing alternate realities where things played out differently. 
Yeah. And the Korvac saga is one that's in progress right now. So the 616 Michael Korvac may or may not have appeared after this point. Yeah. My story for my first exposure to this was actually kind of interesting. The movie theater where I went to see the first Avengers movie has a, um, what was then a Borders. Borders, as of this recording, is no longer a thing that exists. Will probably never again be a thing that exists. And I came out of the movie saying, hey, I want to read an Avengers story. So I walked to the Borders in the shopping center, so Barnes & Noble now, and went, okay, one of the graphic novel shelves, great. What's an Avengers story? What Avengers stories do we have? Something that particularly kind of stands alone a little. And the options were trade paperbacks that were part of the Fear Itself saga, which was the new thing that just wrapped up at the time, I think. And there was enough stuff there. was like, okay, I can't just get one thing. I can afford one trade. And if I get one of these, I'm just getting a portion of a larger story. I'd like to read the whole thing. And they had the Korvac saga. So I picked that up, went home, and a whole bunch of stuff came up, and I never got around to reading it until we got to this podcast. We were preparing for this podcast, and I finally got to sit down and read it, and I enjoyed it immensely, and I kind of wished I'd gotten around to reading it earlier. Yeah, I, I can see that. I originally ran it just, at one point I was doing a chronological read-through of everything Avengers-related. I would have read it around just a few months before the movie was coming out, because it was I started that Avengers read-through when they announced that the Avengers was officially a movie coming. Not just the fan speculation, because it's like, well, you're kicking off with Iron Man, and you've announced that, you know, Incredible Hulk Thor and Captain America are coming. So, you know, a lot of us were saying they're building to the Avengers before Marvel stepped forward and said, okay, and next up is the Avengers, right? So this was, I, I read it probably between the first two Iron Man movies. But yeah, I would agree. It is, it is an enjoyable story. It's one of the highlights of the 70s. It's, I guess it's slightly different structured, but I just like the fact that this is a case where the heroes were wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from Moon Dragon, none of them realize that they're wrong. And we do see that it's, it's a huge emotional weight on her that she's not going to share with the rest. But even though you could complain about Korvac's approach, had he not drawn the attention of the Collector, or had the Collector not started collecting Avengers to help them in his fight against Korvac, the Avengers wouldn't have been involved, and the Marvel Universe might have been a shinier, happier place. It's at least close enough that Moondragon is convinced it would have been. And she is one that, you know, a big part of her powers are the insights into the future. Yep. It probably leads to kind of some... So I'd say one of the deeper meanings, the, the, the portion which we are, Bureau 42 has blatantly stolen from Mission Log. Yeah. We haven't even bothered to file the serial numbers off it. Which means is, I'd say, deep reading the story, as I want to discuss earlier, is poor communication kills. Mm-hmm. Had kind of Korvac and Moondragon communicated, hey, Korvac has good intentions, and if he pulls this off, things will be better. A lot of heartache could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe if Korvac had pulled it off, then Deadpool would not have felt the need to do that Deadpool killogy. Mm-hmm. At least that version of Deadpool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Korvac would have just basically been in control of the 616. But it would have made things, I think, it, just thinking back on the storylines that came later, uh, some of which are going to be discussed, anything where those cosmic entities get involved, all of a sudden Korvac would have been playing a very different role. If he were Eternity, we'd have seen something very different in, you know, Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War, and Infinity Crusade. Infinity Gauntlet is the one of that trilogy that's coming up later. The Secret Wars and Secret Wars 2 that we've mentioned could have played out differently with a, a different power involved. Because a, a lot of what people complain about with Eternity is that he doesn't really concern himself with what's going on with the little people. He's just kind of doing his own thing. But, you know, the Ghost Rider Heaven on Fire, that story arc where Zadkiel was trying to, and essentially had, taken over Heaven, but in order to set himself up as God, he had to first derail God's plan, which is why Ghost Rider had to save the Antichrist to save the universe. 
and that, you know, just a gem of an idea from Jason Aaron, that could have played out very differently with someone else's top dog. Although, I don't know, that was a little odd. The hierarchy in the Marvel Universe isn't terribly clear. It looks like the Judeo-Christian god is the god that's running it all, but Eternity is somehow the representation of what's going on in Marvel 616 beyond that. So, yeah, I don't exactly know how those pieces fit together. This is one of the things that happens when you've got creators doing their own thing because they've got a great idea today and editors not sort of forcing them to line everything up and put the pieces together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. That's It's definitely one communication or even just look before you leap. They knew that Korvac was an enemy of the Collector and Collector's goals were not necessarily always aligned with theirs. So aside from the, you know, the fact that this guy had power, power enough to apparently kill the Collector and reduce him to a pile of ash, even though he does show up in later stories, they really didn't know who the Collector was opposed to and why there was a concern. So, I mean, yeah, he had past history with a lot of the team, including, you know, the Fenders and Thor in particular, but they were essentially judging him by past actions and not the future actions. So again, even without communication, had they done their research before taking action, things might have played out very differently for everyone in the Marvel Universe. Who knows? Peter and Mary Jane might even still be married. That, yep. Or then again, they may have never been married. It's really hard to say. Yeah, that's an odd thought. Right. So one of the other things that we we like to look at, I don't know, unless, did you have any other possibilities for the deeper meanings or? That's the biggest one that kind of caught in my mind is the, the poor communication kills. Particularly something I've seen come up in a few other, not necessarily comic book related works, but other works of speculative, of pop speculative fiction, both in terms of other comic books and, and, and in anime and manga as well. <laughs> not to spoil any future greater science fiction film tournament podcasts, but. I may bring this up again when we talk, uh, when the Evangelion podcast shows up. But yeah, I would say that that's like the, the communication and making sure you know what you're getting into. Those are the ones that are consistent through all three story arcs or all three pieces of this story, right? Dealing with the Collector and Henry Guyrich, dealing with Ultron, and then ultimately dealing with Korvac. Yeah, they're the only ones that may have been ones that are specifically on Jim Shooter's mind. And I will attribute this mostly to Jim Shooter because his was the one hand that was involved in the storytelling all the way through all eight issues. Yeah. So not to say that others weren't contributing, but it's coherent and consistent enough that I think a lot of it was the fact that editor-in-chief Jim Shooter was involved and he has the ability to say, no, 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 we're doing it my way. So I think it's by and large, this is probably attributed to him more so than anyone else, although certainly not 100%. I mean, you don't have George Perez on art and not get an issue back that's better than what your script would have indicated. I'm sure the same is true of other artists and others coming in plotting and scripting, they'll all put their own spin on it. So I think when we come down and say, you know, why it landed at this point in the rankings on the countdown, there's usually three elements that we look into it. There's significance for continuity, there's sheer entertainment value, and then there's the deeper meanings, the messages and morals that come out of it. And I think this one is here just because it's good. You you could pop it out of Avengers continuity, and most of it will make sense, certainly unless you're reading that Korvac Saga miniseries that's out right now. If if you start reading, like I did, start reading the Avengers with Avengers disassembled and read until today, then there's nothing in there that would point you back to the Korvac Saga. You might get pointed back to the effects of the Kree Skrull War or some of the other storylines that they played through. But this one, by and large, seems to have been forgotten by the characters. So I think that's it. It's an entertaining story that doesn't end the way most stories end. I mean, when I was reading through it the first time, I didn't expect expect that reset switch of Korvac bringing the other Avengers back to life until the second one died. Because mm-hmm. it was at the time where, yeah, when he kills the first Avenger, it's like, whoa, you know, and I buy that they would kill off an Avenger at this point. But when he just kills that one and that one and that one and that one, I'm like, okay, 
They're not yeah. going to kill 95% of the team in one issue and not have this godlike being fix it before he goes away. So, I mean, did you have any closing thoughts? Not really. I would definitely recommend picking this up either if you don't have Digital Limited, though you should get Digital Limited. It's hot and cold. It gets you hot and cold running Marvel Comics. But it's definitely worth picking up. It's a great little self-contained, wonderful story. You get to read the original roster Guardians of the Galaxy. So if you're interested in seeing, in particular, Yondu, his original form, whether or not in the post-Secret War he gets reinvented into more of a, uh, in the form in the more, in the, the, the vein of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe version or not, definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's it. It's, it's an entertaining story, and it's, it's definitely worth checking out. And you'd be checking out just for the entertainment value. That's what it's here for. It's just good, fun comics from the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Alex, I'm going to just thank you again for agreeing to join us for this. Glad to be on. All right. And for those of you who like what you heard from Alex, you want to remind them what your YouTube channel is again? All right. It, it, YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Alexander Case. All one word. That's Case with a C. Or i also actually been doing some Twitch streams lately at twitch.tv slash user slash count zero O-R. That's Z-E-R-O-O-R. Z-E-R-O. If you're outside of the U.S. So again, thanks for coming on here, Alex. So for those of you who are reading along at home, next week we are looking at Amazing Spider-Man 700, which was collected at least partially in the final volume of Amazing Spider-Man and the first volume of Superior Spider-Man, and is available on Comixology and Marvel Digital Unlimited. So join us next week to check that out. It's a short reading list this week, only one issue, but that issue is 96 pages. All right, and you can feel free to rate this or any other shows that you listen to on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can contribute to the conversations in our Facebook forum, and you can check out this and any other shows that we have through Bureau 42 through iTunes and Stitcher. So thank you for listening.